Place water bottles below, thanks. I don't know. Well, I'm very happy to be here, and my wife is happy, believe it or not, for me to be here. She's a wonderful person because she knows that we gave our lives to serve the Lord. It's kind of a funny story, ours, because we were both unsaved when we got married. And uh, I was headed into the Air Force, and I thought after that, uh, after initially flying, I was going to go into test pilot school and maybe into the astronaut program, or if not, go into the SR-71 reconnaissance. I had all these. And if not, well, you leave the Air Force and you go into the airlines. You know? And so she thought she had it made in the shade with grape lemonade, as we used to say in the South. I said, honey, what would you have done back then if somebody had told you that we were both going to get saved and that I was going to be a missionary, you were going to be a missionary wife instead of an airline pilot's wife? She said, I would have, wouldn't have believed them. They would have been drunk. <laughs> but she's a wonderful person, and I'm blessed to have her. The Bible says a good wife is from the Lord, and I can bear testimony to that. I've got a good one. All right, we're in James 1. We're developing our theme in James 1. Back in the old days, you used to be able to tell people what page it was on because all the Bibles were the same. Well, at least I remember that. But now they have the young people's Bible, the old people's Bible, the couple's <laughs> Bible, a Bible for everything but your dog. And they're all printed different, you know, so there's no, you don't know what page is on. You just have to find it if you don't know where James 1 is. We're going to read verse 5 again. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wind a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, tonight we come to this book of wondrous heights and depths and glories ever new that in 10,000 various lights brings Jesus into view. And we ask that it would do that tonight for us. We ask that as we study and glean the lessons that are placed here by the Holy Spirit, we might at every turn be reminded of the Lord Jesus, the one who has given everything for us, the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We give thanks for him and we pray your rich blessing on ourselves as we look into the word. Help us to be followers of your dear son, we pray in his own precious name. Amen. Well, we are talking about prayer and about praying for wisdom, the first thing. We said that prayer is an exercise. It's an expression of need. It's work, but it's an exercise in which we seek something from God. And the first thing we're supposed to seek is wisdom. Prayer is not for people who think they know everything about everything. Prayer is for people who need help. 
And we said the other night, there's a difference between saying your prayers and really praying. A lot of people say prayers. And a lot of people pray, the old Puritans, they used to say, misery wonderfully indoctrinated the soul in the art of prayer. Now that's an old Puritan way of saying you don't have to teach a man to pray when he's down. If the pressure's on, the chips are down, and he has trouble, he prays. But not all of those prayers, as we are bound to see tonight, are sincere. And oftentimes, we make a mistake of praying and not following through when we pray. And that we're going to see a case of that tonight. But when James is talking to us here, and there's a lot about prayer in the book of James, one of the things he says, first of all, if any man lack wisdom. So prayer is a confession of a lack of wisdom. Prayer is asking someone that knows. Someone who doesn't know, asking someone who knows. But what is the point in asking if you're not listening for the answer? What is the point in asking if it's just a formality? What is the point in asking if your mind is already made up anyway? And you're just going through the motions. Well, there are actually cases like that in the Bible. But we saw that there's something worse maybe than not asking, and that is those people in James 4, we saw them, where they just said, well, we're going off to such and such a place to live and work and, and uh, earn money. They said they should say, what is your life? They your life is a, is a wisp. It, it's soon gone. What should you say? You should say, if the Lord will, first of all, we will live. Because we live by the mercy of God. First of all, life is not a right. It's a gift from God. And we live and serve at his good pleasure. And he can terminate that contract anytime he wants to, as far as human life goes. Believers have nothing to worry about. We're going into his presence. When our life down here is done, we go absent from the body, present with the Lord. No doubt for a believer. But a person who's not sure of their relationship with Jesus Christ, a person who's just a churchgoer, a person who's a family religion follower, a, per a person who's just hanging out with their friends, a person who's just uh, playing at religion. They got nothing when they come to the end of life. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what's going to happen to them. Well, they needed to go back and do what we read in James chapter 1. They needed to pray for wisdom. Wisdom to know the way of salvation and to enter in to that permanent relationship with God. But how many times... Do people do this? They, we talked about it the other night. They make up their mind and they announce what they're going to do. Well, we're going off over here and such and such. and we're, we, The Lord led us, they say. When actually what led them doesn't show up in any definition of what the Lord is. They were led by circumstances. He was led by his wife. She was led by her husband. They were led by the corporation. You know that great corporation, IBM. I'll be moving. <laughs> Where does the Lord fit into that? The Lord is not the same thing as circumstances. He can use them, but he's above them. So how do we know we're really being led by the Lord? Well, that's what we're going to look at tonight. We, we're going to look at people who asked for wisdom, 
Jeremiah chapter 22, uh, sorry, chapter 42. We're going to look at people who asked for wisdom and guidance, but they made a big mistake, and it ended up being fatal. Jeremiah chapter 42. Now some people are going to say, well, that's another one of those lessons from the Old Testament. We're New Testament Christians. We read the book of John and Revelation, and that's it. The scripture says, whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. These things that were written in the Old Testament, this, this Old Testament that I keep talking about that some of us still haven't read, this Old Testament, these things were not written just so that it's like a history book so we can know who begat who and that sort of thing. All of these things were written to teach us. Well, how are we going to be taught if we're ignoring two-thirds of the Bible? How are we going to be taught if we go year after year in our Christian experience and we still haven't finished one time the book? All of these lessons that God has put in there, all of these things that happened, things that people did that were right, things that are good examples, things that are bad examples, Things that we should read, like some of these we're going to see tonight, where we should say, oops, I'm not going to do that. But how are we going to get the benefit from the good examples, from the bad examples, from the advice? How are we going to get the examples, uh, the benefit from it, if we're not reading it? Jeremiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 6. And we'll explain a little bit about this later, but just read with me now uh, verses 1 to 6. Then all the captains of the forces, and Johanan, the son of Korea, and Jezaniah, the son of Hoshaiah, and all the people from the least even to the greatest came near, and said unto Jeremiah the prophet, Let we beseech thee our supplication be accepted before thee, and pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all this remnant, for we are left but a few of many, as thine eyes do behold us, that the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk, and the thing that we may do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said unto them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray unto the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall come to pass that whatsoever thing the Lord shall answer you, I will declare it unto you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, The Lord be a true and faithful witness between us, if we do not even according to all things for the which the Lord thy God shall send thee to us. For whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send thee, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Well, isn't that a cheery and wonderful and spiritual start? One of the pieces of advice that I often give when people read the scripture and they come up with a question is, keep reading. Many of the questions that come up to us when we're reading the scripture can be answered if you just read a little farther along. You just keep reading. Sooner or later you come across the answer. But in this case, we're going to have to go back a few verses and read to get the setting, and then we're going to see how this whole thing develops. But what we have here in Jeremiah 42 is people who are apparently applying what James 1 
5 says. They're asking for wisdom. Or, or like what James 4 says. They're saying, well, if the Lord will, uh, they're invoking and apparently seeking God's will, but they're not going to follow through with it. This is an example we have of people who insincerely seek God's will because they have an agenda. And they want, what did we talk about the other night, that little thing that we're supposed to, they think we're supposed to carry around in our pocket? What do they want? The rubber stamp. Approved, whatever you want. Pre-approved. Now people like pre-approved loans, but... This is subject to God's will, not subject to human will. And here we're going to see the thing that all of us deal with at one time or another in life, the conflict of wills. Where my will comes into play with God's will. What is the interaction there? And what should happen? And many people who do not learn this lesson ruin their lives, ruin their families, ruin entire churches. the pain and the suffering that will become evident as we go through this, that people can bring upon themselves in spite of the fact that there is a God in heaven full of wisdom who wants to bless us and lead us, who loves to be kind and merciful to us. In spite of all of that, we can ruin it. Somebody wrote a book you know, a long time ago. I used to like to read a lot of military strategy books and all this kind of stuff back in, like they say here, back in the day. Uh, one of the books was called, it had an interesting title, it was called From the Jaws of Victory. It was the story of great military defeats. When they, they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Usually it's the other way around, you know. So this was about stupid blunders and crazy mistakes that people made when they had the battle won and they blew it and lost everything. So it's called From the Jaws of Victory. Well, we could say when we're reading this tonight, from the jaws of blessing, they managed to save ruin and cursing and sorrow, get it out of the jaws of blessing. God wants to bless them, but they managed to get around it and bring all of this upon themselves. And then what happens, of course, when these kind of things happen, then people come with boo-hoo-hoo and and poor me, and God is mean, and I'm a victim. And they have a thousand things that they can say. But when you rewind the tape and you go back to what we're going to see here in chapter 42, many times the root of the matter is in something that God clearly revealed that he wanted done, and they said no. And they went their own way. Okay, so I, I don't know about you, but I want to learn from this. Because there are things that are in the Bible that uh, this chapter is, uh, we could say, basically sad. But it's here because God knows we need to learn the lessons. And God has put this in here to say, look, look what happened. Don't go there. Don't do this. Okay, so come with me now. We're on the clock, so let's go back. And we're going to read... Uh, chapter 41, verse 16. So we're going back a few verses to find out why it is that all these people are talking about leaving Israel and asking for guidance. Chapter 41 and verse 16. Then took Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were with him, all the remnant of the people whom he had recovered from Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, from Mizpah, 
after that he had slain Gedaliah, the son of, a, of Ahikam. Now that, that was the guy that the Babylonians had appointed as governor, and they killed him. So now they're afraid. All right, verse 16, we're in the middle of the verse. Even mighty men of war and the women and the children and the eunuchs whom he had brought again from Gibeon, and they departed and dwelt in the habitation of Chimham, which is by Bethlehem. So now you know where they are. Bethlehem is right down the road from Jerusalem. And they're right by Bethlehem. What do those last words say in chapter, in chapter 41, verse 17? To go to enter into Egypt. Why were they all there, camped out near Bethlehem? Now remember, later on, Lord willing, we're going to go back to the book of Ruth, not tonight, but Sunday, and we're going to think about the people who left Bethlehem and the people who came back. Bethlehem is a famous city in the history of Israel. And now they're all camped out by Bethlehem. But they're camped out there to go to enter into Egypt. Okay, now they say in verse 18, Because of the Chaldeans, for they were afraid of them, because Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had slain Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, whom the king of Babylon had made governor in the land. So the, the Jews have been taken off out of Jerusalem into captivity. A few had been left there, and the king of Babylon had appointed this man, Gedaliah. He made him the governor of this little remnant that was left. Okay, well, this fellow Ishmael, he came along with his men, and they killed the governor. It's like they learned nothing. The whole city of Jerusalem had been burned. The temple burned, looted. Everything was gone. The walls were knocked down. The people had been slain on every side. And so now what do they do? They go kill the governor that the Babylonians put up. It's like empty. Why would you do that? So the people are afraid. So now here's, here's the reaction. Because of fear... They made a decision. What did we see the other night in, in Ruth chapter 1? Why did Elimelech make the decision to leave and to go into Moab? Because of fear and because of famine. Because of stomach. We got to eat. Well, he could, have, he could have eaten there. He could have worked there. He had a rich relative. All the other people in Bethlehem stayed. They were all working there. They all made it. But we get these ideas into our heads sometimes. And the Limelech went through that funny thing where he got this weird idea in his head that he had to leave, and he had to leave, and he just obsessed on it. He had to leave. And so he left. And he took his wife and his two children with him, his two boys with him, and they never came back except for his wife. All right, well, here we are outside of Bethlehem again a few years down the road. We're outside of Bethlehem, and now they're afraid. And so their, their solution is go to Egypt because the, the Egyptians still had something of an empire down there, and they had an army, and they said, we'll go live in Egypt. Surely the Babylonians can't get us there because they were worried about payback for killing the governor that the Babylonians had put up. So we're leaving, and we're going off into Egypt. And this is where we come to these verses that we read, 1 to 6, which we're going to title, uh, God's Will Sought. Verses 1 to 6, God's Will Sought. And then verses 7 to 22, God's Will Revealed. 
And then we're going to look at chapter 43. We're going to do it quick. Don't worry, I'm not going to keep you here all night. Chapter 43, verses 1 to 7, God's will rejected. So the problem is not knowing God's will. You go out to any Christian bookstore, you can find half a dozen books at least on how to know God's will, how to, how to have guidance, how to know God's will. And most people want to know God's will if they're young. They want to know, how can I know who I'm supposed to marry? Uh, how can I know what career I'm supposed to study? Uh, how can I... But everybody at some point wants to know God's will. These people wanted to know God's will. They weren't joking around. They wanted to know God's will. But they didn't want to do it. Go to the Christian bookstores and find me six books on how to do God's will. And don't hold your breath while you're looking. Because they're not there. God's will, brothers and sisters, and friends and neighbors, is not a subject of idle curiosity. If the sovereign creator of the universe who rules over all things has a will about something, you and I better know what it is. And if we want to live a happy and blessed life, we better find out, we better forget about our will, that short-sighted, ignorant little will of ours that doesn't even know what it's going to eat for breakfast tomorrow. We, 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 we fall into, uh, or get crushes on people, or quote, fall into love. Somebody told me one time, I fell into love. I've fallen in love with so-and-so, and I said, well, get up. <laughs> it's not tripping and falling. That's not what we're doing. We're making decisions, and we're responsible for our decisions. So they go along, and they want to know God's will, but they want to know it because they have an agenda. They already have an idea what they want to do, and what they want is for God to get out his little, and say, approved. So this sounds really nice. Here we are, looking for God's will. They all came and said, well, at least get off their case a minute. At least they came and asked the prophet. They asked. Okay, they asked. I'll give you that much. They did come and ask. But don't try to convince me that every time we ask, we fully intend to do whatever God has said. Because it's clearly not true. They had already decided. They had already invented their own solution. They had already given themselves advice. And they were camping on the way. They had all their luggage, whatever they were taking with them, they'd already packed their bags and they were all... They were camped out near Bethlehem on the way, and the last stop before they headed out into Egypt was, ask the prophet. We talked about that the other night, didn't we? People who make a decision, and then they go, say, to the brethren who are into oversight, the pastors, the spiritual shepherds, and they go and say, well, I'm going to so go do so-and-so. The Lord led me. Pray for me. He did what? So the Lord did that, and these men that the Lord said, he tells them that they have to keep watch for our souls, and that they will give account to God for our souls. I know you'll give account for your own soul. I know that. But I also know that in the government of God, he has put men who he has filled with his spirit, 
to watch over us and to take care of us. And they're called shepherds and they're called elders and they're called bishops, not archbishops. <laughs> and uh, these men are supposed to take care of us. They're supposed to watch for us. And that's why when you're at home at night going to sleep and getting a good night's sleep, these men who are supposed to be keeping watch over you a lot of times can't sleep. They're praying. They're concerned. They have to give an account. And you don't tell them anything that's going on in your life until you've made the decision and you're on the way. You stack the deck against them and then you ask for their blessing. We say in Spain, y eso como se come. That means, and how does that work? <laughs> I bet you wouldn't like to trade places with them. They have to give account of people who don't think they need any advice. We're old enough to make our own decisions. After all, we're adults. We're not mindless idiots. We're not in a cult where people have to tell us what to do all the time. And blah, blah, blah. All of that is just a way of talking by a person who wants to have his own will in his own way. And who's not going to sub submit it to any kind of spiritual guidance because he doesn't want to be told no. So he says yes and asks for blessing. So the people, it sounds really nice what they say here. You know, they come together and they say to Jeremiah in verse 2, uh, Let beseech, we beseech thee, our supplication be accepted before thee. Oh, they sound so humble. Dear brother Jeremiah, pray for us unto the Lord thy God. How come they didn't say to the Lord our God? Whoops. Pray for us. Why do they want him to pray? Verse 3. That the Lord thy God may show us the way. They want to know the way. They want guidance. No, 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 no. They want to know the way to Egypt. They want to know which road to take to get to Egypt. They don't want to know if they can go or not. They don't want to let God into the decision-making process. They just want him to tell them, uh, well, take Highway 5 or, or whatever. Highway 5, that goes down to Los Angeles. That's about the same as Egypt. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they want to know the way. Okay, so they're seeking God's will. So at least we have to give them some kind of a mark right there and say, okay, well, that's good. At least they asked. Asking is better than not asking, right? We can all agree on that. But... Why are you going to ask the question if you don't want to hear the answer? So Jeremiah warns them. He answers them. He doesn't say, oh, get out of here. I know you guys are already planning to go to Egypt. He doesn't say that. He comes to them and he says, okay, I will go, he says. I have heard you. Verse 4, behold, I will pray to the Lord your God. He reminds them. According to your words. But now he's warning them. I'm not a rubber stamp man, Jeremiah saying. Verse 4. It shall come to pass that whatsoever thing the Lord shall answer you, I will declare it unto you. I will keep nothing back from you. So don't ask me to just uh, tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to go talk to the Lord like you asked me. I'm going to talk to him. And I'm going to wait and get an answer from him. I'm warning you. Whatever he tells me, 
I'm going to tell it to you. I'm not going to hold back. Well, you see, this introduces into the formula the possibility that you might hear something you don't like. Because Jeremiah realizes that the people are not sovereign. God is. The people don't have the last word. Not even when they disobey. God does. And he's reminding them. Because he has a serious responsibility. When Paul spoke to the Thessalonians and he said, we came preaching the gospel to you, he said, we didn't preach uh, uh, to please men. He said, we received this from God. He said, we preached with, with godly fear. We were faithful to, the, to what he entrusted. He said, we were considered by God worthy to be entrusted with the gospel. God gave it to him to preach. And he said, we didn't preach it to be popular. Well, that knocks out a lot of pulpits in North America today and in other places in the world too. They spend all of their time worrying about being on good terms with people instead of being on good terms with the person that entrusted his word to them. A man who speaks the word of God must be faithful to the word of God or hear this, he will answer to God for that. He will answer to God for it. And it doesn't matter if he's the most popular man and he has all the hits on his website and everybody's tweeting him, it doesn't matter. God is underwhelmed. Listen to me, God says. He sent John the Baptist into the wilderness. Some of you remember when we studied John the Baptist. He sent him off into the wilderness where he couldn't hear anything. Where there wasn't any Nintendo or PlayStation or anything. In those days, I know, but I have to get my digs in. <laughs> to teach him to listen. People are too busy to listen. They don't have time to listen to God. They want quick answers. They want sound bites. They don't want to be in the presence of God. And these people apparently, and they have a long history in the book of Jeremiah, one of the underlying themes in the whole book of Jeremiah is the people don't listen to God. They don't listen to him. And so he's warning them, I'm going to go and talk to the Lord and I'm not going to, uh, keep back anything from him. So then they say these beautiful words in verse 5 and 6. Oh, the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us if we do not even according to all the things which the Lord our God shall send thee to us. Whether it be good or evil. Evil doesn't mean wicked there. It means there's two words for evil. One of them means harmful. And this is what that one means. If it's, if it's for our good or if it's harmful to us, even at personal loss, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send thee, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. That verse, verse 6, is one of the great texts of the Old Testament. But the whole trouble with it is, the people who said it are about as false as a $3 bill. They were superficial. So you see, this is the problem. God's will is being sought, supposedly in verses 1 to 6, but it's being sought superficially. It sounds really nice what they say. You know, we used to have a parakeet, and his name was Kipling, for Rudyard Kipling. And that little thing, he had a brain about the size of my little fingernail. He, we got him when he was about a month old, and our children played with him and talked to him and all of this, and he learned to talk. A parakeet. 
And they wrote everything he said, and they filled up, I kid you not, a, notebook, a sheet of notebook paper with all the things that that parakeet could say. And he even learned to say, shut up, because when he carried on and carried on, they told him to shut up, so he said that too. <laughs> but he said a lot of other things. Oh, I love you. You're such a cutie. Give me a kiss and all these kind of things. He could say all of that and a lot of other things. But you know what? It's just words. He had no idea what they meant. We learn religious words early in life. Some of us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We all learn it. And if you didn't learn it there, you learn somewhere else. You learn to say the right words. And the hardest people in the church to deal with are the people who are the Christian parents. They have learned all the right words. It sounds so nice when they say it, and it sounds so spiritual, but on the inside they might be as carnal as goats. They might be full of self-will. They got their own agenda. They got their own plan, and they have no intention of listening to obey the voice of God. They're doing their own thing. I feel sorry for men who have to shepherd people like that. But I feel sorry for the people because they're their own worst enemy. They're their own worst enemy. Beautiful, empty words. Romans 12 and Two says that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. What is our will? God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Jeremiah chapter 17 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So why are you going to trust this? Why are we going to trust this when we can trust him? Well, we know it in theory. But if it means I have to change anything... Well, then I start hitting the brakes. Then I start dragging my feet. Jeremiah 10, 23, the prophet said, I know that man's way is not in him. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. You and I are not the Lord of our lives. We are not the guiding force or the guiding light. He is. And when we walk in the light, in the wisdom of a heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, when we do that, we stumble. And we have no one to blame but ourselves. God has revealed his will about so many things. He's revealed his will about marriage. He's revealed his will about work. He's revealed his will about the unequal yoke, about business about friends, about money, about prayer, about so many things God has revealed his will. But most people do what they want to. When was the last time you spent a half an hour alone with God in this book, seriously seeking his will and willing to do whatever he said, even if it means you have to change? Ah, oh, you see, now I'm meddling. Because it's one thing to talk about this crowd in Jeremiah's day. 
But why were the things written in the Old Testament? The things that were written aforetime were written for us, for our instruction to teach us. So we come to the second part. In the second part, verses 7 to 22, we're just going to extract a few verses out of this section uh, because what we have here basically is the will of God revealed. Now it's not a mystery. God has spoken. He's told us what his will is. He told them very clearly what it is here. Verse 7, notice. It came to pass that after 10 days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. What did God do? He hit the brakes. He made everybody wait 10 days. Don't be in a rush to take a decision that's going to affect your whole life. Wait on the Lord. That's the hardest thing for the human being to do is to wait on God and to listen to him. Ten days they had to wait. So they're all camped out, and they're looking at Jeremiah, and he's looking at them, and he's waiting. No word from the Lord. One day, two days, three days, and finally after ten days. The Lord is giving them time to think about the decision that they had already made. He's giving them time to prepare their hearts to hear what he's going to tell them because he knows. He knows everything. As we're going to see in this section, he knows with what attitude they came. He knows what their response is going to be. He knows how they're going to react to what he has to say to them. And he's giving them time to think about it and to, if they want to, sync their will with his. They have time to prepare their hearts. But it doesn't look like they use it very well. So he calls them together, verses 80 and 9. He calls all the people together, not just the captains, but everybody. He wants them all there to hear it. This is not done in a little closed-door session in secret somewhere. Everybody's going to hear what God has to say. And so he calls all the people together, and then in verses 10, 11, and 12, he gives them the first option, obedience. God wants you to do this. Do this, and he'll have mercy on you. Verses 10, 11, and 12. He says, in verse 9, he says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, unto whom ye sent me to present your supplication before him. If you will still abide in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down, and I will plant you and not pluck you up, for I repent me of the evil that I have done unto you. Now that evil, remember, doesn't mean wicked. That's the, the other word for evil that means the harm and the destruction that had come with the city of Jerusalem. It had been destroyed for its ungodliness. And the Lord is saying now that he has a future for them. It's not going to continue that way. And he tells them, he knows what their problem is. They're afraid. God understands what you feel. Don't ever say, nobody understands me. Don't ever say, you don't know how I feel. You don't know what this means to me. Because when you say that, you're setting yourself up as if you were God. God is the only one that no one knows and understands completely. He knows us. He made our heart. He knew what was driving them. He knew what they were worried about. He says, don't be afraid. Be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Now they could have said, oh, we're not afraid. We're just going down there. No, don't try that. The Lord says, you are afraid. He says, sometimes we think if we deny something, that makes it true. Now, this is not a criticism, but blah, 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 blah. Oh, that's right. It's not a criticism because you said the famous disclaimer. Uh, this is not a criticism. Or you said, I love brother so-and-so, but 
I love sister so-and-so, but, and then someone, an old brother who's with the Lord now, he told me, when you hear the word but, forget everything that went before it. Now they're going to tell you what they really think. So the disclaimers. We do that. But the Lord knows how we think, and he knows how we feel. He said, you are afraid. Be not afraid of him. Second time. Repetition in the Bible is always for emphasis. Remember that. When something is repeated, it's like the Lord stomping his foot saying, get this. I'm emphasizing. It's like underlining it or highlighting it. Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. I will show mercies unto you. Here's the mercy of God. God's mercy is not in letting us do what we want to. God's mercy is guiding us to do what he knows is best for us. And sometimes along the way, in his mercy, in his kindness, and his long suffering, he allows us to stumble along and he takes care of us in spite of ourselves. He can do that, and he does do it. And I'm a witness of that in my own life, and everybody else here probably too. But God promises mercy to them if they obey him. He says, just do it. This is what he's been trying to do with them since, uh, well, go back, just, let's just take a minute real quick, Jeremiah chapter 7, you'll see this, what he's been trying to do with them all through the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23, he says, uh, verse 22 and 23, For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt, concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice. It's like saying, read my lips. Let's make this real simple. Obey my voice. Obey my voice, and I will be your God. And you shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. Okay, that's chapter 7. Now come over um, to chapter 11. We've got two more verses in chapter 11 that sound just like this. Chapter 11 and verse 4. Which I commanded your fathers in the day that I brought them forth out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice and do them according to all which I command you, so shall ye be my people, and I will be your God, that I may perform the oath which I have sworn to your fathers. He's talking about all the blessings he wants to bring to them. But God doesn't bless the disobedient. Obey my voice. Verse 7. For I earnestly protested unto your fathers in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, even unto this day, rising early and protesting, saying, Obey my voice. How much clearer can we make it? This is the problem in the book of Jeremiah. They don't listen, and when they do, they don't do what he says. It's in one side and out the other. So this is what we call in Spanish a llamada perdida, a dropped call. God's calling, but you didn't get it. 
So he promises them, obey and you'll have mercy. But then now notice from verses 13 to 22, and we're not going to take time to read those and go all into them, but I'm just going to tell you what he says here. He says, but if you don't obey my voice, if you go down into Egypt, it will go ill with you. It is, you're not going to be happy campers. <laughs> if you go down into Egypt, Look at verse 13. But, look how the Lord anticipates. Does he know us? But if you say, we will not dwell in this land, neither obey the voice of the Lord your God, saying, no, we will go down to the land of Egypt, where we, this is their logic, where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor have hunger of bread, and there we will dwell. And why did Elimelech take his family into the land of Moab? I know I'm jumping back, but hang in there with me. Why did he do it? To have something to eat. He said, we got to live. We go there to live. Did they live? They died. Three tombs. They never came back. Only Naomi came back and brought Ruth with her. Thank the Lord. You see, they're saying, well, in Egypt there's not any war. Egypt is a country of peace. They're a mighty military power. We're not going to have alarms and trumpets, and there's food to eat there, and everything is going to be fine. They all lived happily ever after, we say. Y comieron perdices, y se fueron felices. Everything was a happy ending for all. No. He says, if you say this, Verse 15, now therefore hear the word of the Lord, ye remnant of Judah, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if ye wholly set your faces to enter into Egypt, to go to sojourn there, then it shall come to pass that the sword which ye feared shall overtake you. And do you know what happened? They all died in Egypt. They all died in Egypt. Did God want them to die in Egypt? No, don't lay the blame for this at the foot of God. This is not God's fault. Everything that happens is not God's fault. And we can't go through life being willful and disobedient, and then anything that happens, we say, well, I guess the Lord is just trying to teach me patience. No, he's not trying to teach you patience. He's trying to teach you obedience. It's not patience. In the life of a person who knew what God's will was and they didn't do it, the question is not patience. And you are not a suffering Job. You're like a disobedient and rebellious Israelite. Now, I may be stepping on somebody's toes. There's the door. But we got to face this because we can be our own worst enemy. God wants to bless us. Did you not see blessing and mercy? In verses 10 to 12, but this is what's going to happen. He knows them because it says in verse 19, The Lord hath said concerning you, O you remnant of Judah, go ye not into Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. No doubt what it, whether it was God's will or not. And he says, look at verse 20, For ye have dissembled in your hearts. It means you have used deceit. You have been deceitful with me. He says, you were deceitful when you sent me to the Lord your God saying, pray for us. That was just a bunch of hocus pocus. You already had your mind made up. 
How did Jeremiah know that? Well, it doesn't tell us. I'll tell you what I think, and you can disagree with me, and I won't buy you dessert. No, you can disagree. We, we don't know. This is conjecture. What I think, when the Lord gave him this message to give to them, the Lord told him what their attitude was. The Lord revealed it to him. And he came out of the Lord's presence after those 10 days, and he said, Oh, now I understand. So when you ask someone for when you ask someone for counsel or advice or prayer about a decision you have to make, give them time to go meet with God and to study his word and to meditate and to pray and to know the mind of God. They were in a big hurry to get the rubber stamp so they could be on their way to Egypt. And they had to sit 10 days. And when Jeremiah came out of those 10 days of the Lord, he knew what the score was. He says in verse 21, Now I have this day declared it to you, but ye have not obeyed. William Kelly said, The flesh is the principle of self-will. That strong, relentless determination to have what we want, whether God wills it or not. That's the flesh. The principle of self-will. The strong, relentless determination to have what we want, whether God wills it or not. That's what they had. It's the inner rebel that doesn't ask because he wants to do his own will that doesn't take counsel or advice, and that when he does get it, he turns it around against them. Look at what they do. God's will rejected. Look at verse 40, chapter 43. Now, we, we're just going to hit this real quick, and I'm not going to wear you out tonight, so don't worry. And Dean, he's been up since 2-something in the morning, so we've got to let him go home and go to bed. He's going to start snoring down here. Chapter 43, verse 1, it came to pass that when Jeremiah came to the end of speaking to all the people, all the words of the Lord their God, which the Lord their God had sent him to them, even all these words. You get that? There's a double affirmation there. Twice in one verse, he says, he gave them all the word of the Lord. That's what he promised to do back in the early verses of the previous chapter. He said, okay, I'll go talk to the Lord, but whatever he says, I'm going to tell it to you. And this is what he did. He was a faithful messenger. And what thanks did he get for being a faithful messenger? Nothing. They said, all the proud men, in the middle of verse 2, all the proud men saying unto Jeremiah, Thou speakest falsely, the Lord our God hath not sent thee to say, Go not into Egypt to sojourn there, but Baruch the son of Neriah set thee on against us. Oh, so this is how we're going to do it. Pride is in there. Self-will is in there. Predetermined decisions are in there. Resistance, knowing the will of God and not wanting to do it, and rejection. And so how do they do it? Well, they blame shift. Oh, no, oh, that's not the will of God. Baruch told you to say that. He doesn't like us. Mean old Baruch. Uh, we hear his voice. He's after us. He wants us to stay here so the Babylonians can punish us. Why did Jeremiah spend 10 days consulting the Lord to have them tell him this? 
I mean, it's, it's enough to make you say, at the beginning, if he had known how they were going to react, at the beginning, he would just say, just go on to Egypt, do whatever you want to. And sometimes I confess, in the Lord's work, I'm tempted to tell people that. Just go do whatever you want to. Because why are you wasting our time? Why are you wasting your pastor's time? Why are you wasting the elder's time? Why are you wasting God's time pretending to want to know what his will is when you've already made up your mind what you're going to do anyway? God can't guide you. Only thing he can do is rubber stamp you his blessing. So, verse 4. So Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces, and all the people, this is the majority, obeyed not the voice of the Lord to dwell in the land of Judah. They took everybody, and here's the sad part, they forced Jeremiah and his servant Baruch to go with them. They took them, they forced them to go into Egypt with them. And they were soon sorry they did that. If you want to know how I know they were sorry, read the rest of the book. Verse 7, so they, come, so they came to the land of Egypt, for they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Thus they came even to Taphanes. And then the word of the Lord started coming there, but we're not going into that. Because this is the lesson tonight. The bottom line is, they did what they wanted to. So they wasted all that time. Now, when they got into Egypt and had suffering and death, and tears, and loss, and they never, just like Elimelech that went into the land of Moab, they never came back to the land of Israel. They never saw the promised land again. And whose fault was it? They weren't being tested. They weren't having their character purified. They were being punished. Because they obeyed not. What does the New Testament say to us? Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So what about us? Coming back to James 1.5, we're told if we lack wisdom to ask God who gives to all men liberally, but what does the rest of those verses say there? It says, but not the double-minded man, not the one who's already got his plan made and he's just looking for the rubber stamp. Save your breath. Just go do what you want to. And don't complain when things go wrong. But if you want guidance, and you want blessing, and you want help from heaven, there is a God in heaven, James 1, 5 says, who gives to all men liberally. And that means he gives to everyone who sincerely asks him and wants to know his will and have wisdom from him. If you come to him that way, he's not going to hold back. He's not going to hold back. He wants Dear brothers and sisters, he wants to help us. He wants to avoid all of those things that they ran headlong into. But don't ask unless you're really willing to listen to the answer. Stop wasting God's time. Remember what Paul said when he started his life on his knees in the, on the road to Damascus? He's down on his knees. Who art thou, Lord, he said, first of all, and when he found out it was Jesus of Nazareth. He said those next words marked his life. 
And what were those next words? Lord. This is the Lordship of Christ. Lord. Knowing who he was then. Jesus of Nazareth. He called him Lord. And he said, what wilt thou have me to do? He's on his knees. He's on his face. And I guarantee you that a person that starts his Christian life that way and a person that continues his Christian at every juncture in life when decisions must be made, he's on his face before the Lord saying, what will you have me to do? It'll save a marriage. It'll save a church. It'll save a friendship. It'll save a job. It'll save a life. What will you have me to do? What do you want me to do? He gave up the reins to his life that night. He let go of the steering wheel that day on the road to Damascus. And from then on, he could say, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. There is a life-marking decision. And God wants me, and he wants you, to walk in the light of that example and not the one we had back in Jeremiah 42. May the Lord bless his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, tonight we come into your presence and we want to be sincere seekers of God's will. We confess, we know what the scripture says, that the will of God is good and perfect and acceptable. We, we can say none of those things about our own will. And so tonight, each person, wherever he or she may be in life, whatever problems, whatever difficulties, whatever decisions, my prayer is that each one will be able to humbly bow before the Lord of the universe and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And listen and do it unlike the people in Jeremiah's day. We commit ourselves to you in full confidence. We know you've never ruined a life that was given to you, and you're not going to start doing it tonight. And so we commend ourselves into your care and ask you to take us with your blessing. We pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.